good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn the Word of God tonight to the, the Psalm 106. We are, of course, studying uh, the Lord's Prayer and we're dealing with the first petition, Hallowed be thy name. And with that in mind, I want to read some words here in, in the Psalm 106. And we'll read from the verse, the verse number 7. And the psalmist here, of course, referring to the days of old. And the people of God have been rescued and delivered through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and the power of God. Uh, they've been taken out of Egypt. And then it says, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. I want to just give you two quick reminders as we come once more to study this first petition, Hallowed be thy name. The first reminder is that God's name is a term that summarizes all that God is. Especially thinking about how God reveals himself. His name is that whereby he maketh himself known in the language of our catechism. The second reminder is that for God's name to be hallowed, it is to desire that God's name is known. That God's name is glorified. For God's name to be hallowed, it comes from the Greek word to sanctify. And thus to hallow God's name is to sanctify God's name. Not by making it holy, for God's name is holy, but rather to set God's name apart as worthy of all glory and attention. As we read in Leviticus chapter 10, Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And so you see in those words, there is the, uh, the synonymous terms being used, that God's name can be sanctified or hallowed, and the same thing is say that God's name is glorified. And so when you come to the first petition, we remind ourselves that this is indeed a prayer. Hallowed be thy name. It is a reflection of a desire that we have in our hearts. And that desire is that God would be glorified in all the ways he's revealed himself. And so when you think of God's name in that sense, you see that God's name is really synonymous with his fame or his renown. You have there in the verse number 8 of Psalm 106, And nevertheless he saved them for his name's sake. And the sense there, of course, is that God's name would not be profaned, that God's name would not be cast away by the heathen, but rather, as he reveals his power, so his renown, his fame, would be rightly respected. And so at this time, he chooses to intervene in the behalf of the people of God, despite their unbelief. He comes in mercy to save them, not because they deserve it, 
but because of the importance of his name. And that's really what we're praying for. As we consider this petition, we're praying that God's name would be rightly revered, rightly respected, rightly held in esteem in this world at this time. Our catechism says this, what do we pray for in the first petition? In the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. So we're praying that God himself would work for his glory. We're praying that we would work for his glory, that God and man together would do all things for the promotion of the honor of God's name. God's name that is worthy of all honor. God's name that is without any fault or blemish. God's name that is excellent in greatness. That God and man would together promote the glory of his name. So we could say that God's glory is God's chief end. As well as God's glory being man's chief end. We are praying for God to do all things for his fame and his renown to be made known. Now, before I put uh, some meat to this uh, concept, I want to pause and ask myself the question, uh, ask you the question, ask me the question, is the glory of God our chief desire? So to begin with tonight, I want to think about the source of this prayer. In light of that question, is the glory of God our chief desire? It caused me to think about the source of this prayer. And what I mean by that is, Where does this prayer come from when we pray it with our mouths? I'm not talking about the words. I'm talking about a prayer that is prayed properly. Because when this prayer is prayed truly, it arises in a heart that longs for God's glory. And in fact, we will not pray this prayer truly unless we have a heart that desires God's glory. We'll always struggle to pray this prayer rightly. As long as we ourselves are not burdened with a desire for God's glory. I think one reason why this prayer often escapes our minds is that we hold other things as more important than the honor of God's name. Just let's do a little challenge for own hearts at this time. Think of your last time of prayer. Uh, I'm not talking about giving thanks for food and the last meal you ate, but I'm thinking of your, your last season of prayer in, in the private place. What dominated your prayers in that place? What was the first thing in your mind in that place? And often we ask those questions, uh, we find ourselves answering in a way that reveals that uh, the honor and glory of God's name is not our first importance. I question myself, do I live and breathe with a desire that all I do will be to the honor of his name? And I will return to the ways in which we should pray this prayer. We'll return to the ways in which we should not pray this prayer. But do we live with a passion for the glory of God? This burden is produced by God. So I think the source of this prayer, this prayer arises in a heart that has a burden for the glory of God. And that burden is itself, is produced by God. Natural man has no desire for the glory of God. If you take the language of the Old and the New Testament, God is not in all their thoughts. That means many things, 
But not least does it mean the fact that natural man does not desire the promotion and the honour of God's name. They wouldn't care about that. And so at the very core of the source of this prayer is again the realisation that only by God's grace will natural man actually desire the glory of God. We understand in the language of the New Testament that we are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God. There's an understanding that we, we can't produce this burden in our own hearts. It's something that comes from God. In the new birth, we're, we're given a new heart, a good heart. And the new heart, the good heart, has a desire for the glory of God. Turn back to, to Psalm 51, we're, and we're close to the Psalm 51. You turn back there and you'll see in the verse Number 15 of the Psalm 51. The psalmist understands this. This, of course, is the, the, the prayer of the penitent. Uh, David's been guilty of sin and he prays in verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. There's a recognition. It's only when God works in our hearts that we'll then rightly praise the Lord's name. It's only when God deals with our hearts then opening our lips that will then desire the glory of God, even in the attitude of public praise. So this burden is produced by God. In the second place, this burden is provoked by love. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. That's the provocation of this burden in our souls. We will again only rightly value the honour of God's name when we are burdened as we consider the love of Christ for our souls. We've been bought with a price. There is no higher price to be paid. It's the price of Christ's blood. And in light of that love that God has for us in Christ, then we desire the glory of God's name. A burden produced by God. A burden provoked by love. And a burden that is proven by action. How do we identify a heart that desires the glory of God as the of first importance? We can identify that because such a burden reveals itself in evidence in our lives. We see the burden for God's glory evidenced by our worship. Turn back in your eyes to Psalm 50. We're just back one Psalm, the Psalm 50 and the verse number 23. Now, there, there are many times in the Psalms that there is a, a parallel usage of the two terms to praise God and to glorify God. But here in the verse 23, it says this, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. One of the ways we glorify God, of course, is to make God known. And we make God known as we utter praise regarding God. We, we make God known as we publicly worship his name with, with words and with songs. We worship and praise God's name. And in so doing, those who praise God glorify God. A heart that does not praise God is a heart that is not burdened with the glory of God. Think about that. If we, if we, really, if we really can say we want the glory of God of first importance, then surely, if that is our heart, then that burden will be expressed as we praise the name of God. It's not consistent to say you desire God's glory, you desire God's name to be known, and then not desire to make that known in praise. Whether it be speaking well of God in the public square, or whether it be coming to the house of God and praising the name with, with God's people. 
The heart that desires the glory of God, that heart, that burden is always evidenced in public worship. But it's also evidenced in our works. Turn please to Exodus, or sorry, Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, and we're dealing, of course, with this matter of a desire for God's glory. Hallowed be thy name. It, it comes from a heart that desires the glory of God as, as of first importance. And that burden is evidenced in worship and also in our works. And here you are, we're looking at it in a negative sense. Verse 19, here Ezekiel the prophet is bringing judgment upon the, uh, the ungodly people. They profess the name of God. They profess to be God's people, but they have polluted the land with their sins. And they were scattered, verse 19, among the heathen. They were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings. I judged them. Verse 20, and when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are gone out of his land. Significant, isn't it? Here's the Lord's people. They've been scattered into the land of the heathen. What an opportunity to make much of God's name. But rather, as they're scattered and as they pollute the land with their sin, what are they said to do? They're profaning the name of God. The verses go on to say that God will have pity for his name. He's going to do all he can and bring the people back, but they are profaning his name among the heathen, you can see, uh, you cast your eye down through the text and you will see that God's concern is for the glory of his name. As the heathen, they see the people of God, they see their sins and they make conclusions regarding uh, the God of heaven. It's a very solemn thing, isn't it? Just in passing to be amongst the heathen with an opportunity to make much of God's name. And yet in our lives, the heathen can and perhaps look at our lives and Profane the name of God because we, we do not live in a manner that makes much of God's glory. You call yourself a child of God. You say you bear the family likeness of God. You're a son of God. But really you're dishonoring the family name. It's a very serious thing, isn't it? You've also this in a, in a more positive sense. Turn please to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, the verse number 11. Here as Paul prays this prayer, he's praying that the people of God in Philippi would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. How do the people of God glorify God? Because they give evidence of God dealing with their lives the Holy Spirit working in their souls. And as God works in their lives and the Holy Spirit indwells their souls, there is the production of these fruits of righteousness. And when they are visible, that's unto the glory and praise of God. And so you see this? What do, how, do we, how do we show a, a burden for God's honor and God's name? Well, we prove it in our worship and we prove it in our works of righteousness. And so as we... Consider this prayer, hallowed be thy name. I'm, I'm suggesting to you that that prayer will only be rightly prayed, truly prayed, properly prayed, when our hearts indeed are burdened for the glory of God. So perhaps before you even begin to pray the first petition, 
It would be good to begin by asking that God would give us the heart to value the honour of his name and value his glory above all. Maybe that's the place to start in our, in our praying as we, as we seek the face of God. We, we claim our Father. We, we claim our adoption as sons. We claim our right. And then we, we, we stop and say, Lord, give me a heart that longs for your glory so that I can rightly pray, hallowed be thy name. That my prayer, hallowed be thy name, would not be hypocritical. It would not be insincere, but rather it would indeed reflect what is the true burden of my heart. Oh, that God would give us a burden for the glory of his name. Now, moving on from the source of this prayer, uh, let's think for a time about some specific requests uh, within this prayer. What are some of the requests that we could see in this prayer? Well, let's go back a stage first. When we pray this first petition, we are praying that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known. We're praying, God, hallow your name. So how does does God make himself known? Well, God makes himself known in his word and in his works. God's word is the way whereby he reveals himself. He says he's magnified his word above his name. What does that mean? Well, that, that means... God understands that it is his word that shows his name. He reveals his name as the word of God is the means of promoting the glory of God's name. And so he he makes himself known in and through his word. He also makes himself known in his works. Those works of creation, providence and redemption. Creation declares the glory of God. Psalm 19. As God brings the world into being, that instantly is for his glory. Made for his glory. This world exists for the glory of God. That was so before the fall, and it's so even now. But not only in creation is God known, God is also known in providence. The created things in Romans chapter 1, they reveal God's eternal power and Godhead. That's not just true right back in the Garden of Eden. Right now, God's creation reveals his eternal power and Godhead. That's revealed today in the created world. And thus, we see in that that God's works of providence, whereby he sustains this world, that work of providence is the means whereby God makes himself known. We see his wisdom, we see his power. And of course, God also makes himself known in his works of redemption. He saved them for his name's sake, Psalm 106. We turn also to Ephesians chapter 1. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 and you'll see there. God makes himself known in the work of redemption. And you see it in a number of places. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 6. That all of salvation is to the praise, excuse me, <clears throat> the praise of the glory of his grace. In verse number 12 of Ephesians chapter 1. That we should be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. God's work of redemption in saving your soul is so that his name would be glorified. What he does in showing mercy to sinners. What he does in paying the price of their sins. What he does in providing a covering. It's all that he would have all the glory. 
That is God's ultimate aim. Ephesians chapter 3 and the verse number 21. The work of redemption is unto him be glory in the church. The glory of God by Christ Jesus. The glory of God through the work of Christ. God's ultimate aim is his own glory in the redemption of his church. So God, he makes himself known in these ways. In his word, in his works. And we can subdivide his works as the works of creation, providence, and redemption. So how does this, how does this govern our praying? Praying, hallowed be thy name. Well, we're praying that God's name would be exalted in all of these ways. And as we contemplate these ways, the name of God, the way that God makes himself known, we're praying that God's name would be glorified and hallowed in all of these ways. And the language, once more for catechism, that God would enable other, us and others to glorify him in all of these things. Let me put to you the negative of the larger catechism. If that's a positive, that we glorify him, the negative is this. That he would prevent and remove atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to him. So the positive, that through these things, we would glorify him. And the negative is that we would not dishonor him in these things. So let me consider just a, a flavor of potential prayers that would come under this prayer, hallowed be thy name. Let me give you some suggestions. Keeping in mind the positive and the negative. We could pray that the scriptures would be honored and respected. That's a prayer you could take. Hallowed be thy name. Your name, you make yourself known in your word. Therefore, it's appropriate to pray that the scriptures would be honored and respected. And not despised or denied. And you could take that prayer and you could pray it in your home. Oh Lord, may my children honor and respect your word. May they not deny or despise the word. May they not cause the word something to be easily cast away. But rather, may the word of God, may it be of chief importance in their lives. It's the flavor of the prayers you pray of the church. You come to the house of God on the Lord's day. Hallowed be thy name. And if your mind immediately goes to the public praise of God's people but before you get there there's the, the need for God's people to hallow the name of God in their respect and reverence for the word of God that's how God has made himself known so you can pray those sorts of prayers for the home for the church for the nation hallowed be thy name this is not just a good book it's the only book that God has given and a book that is despised and cast aside as of no importance in the lives of humanity. Oh, we need to pray that God would hallow his name in this nation, in the respect that is given for his word. We could pray that God's work of creation would be rightly hallowed. That it would be seen for what it is. That it would be seen as God's work. Respected as God's work. And not denied in all the Errors of the evolutionary system of thought. When, when so-called wise men propagate evolution with the breath that God gives them, they dishonor the name of God. They're not hallowing God's name, they're dishonoring God's name. And so we pray, Lord, 
Put away all atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness. That's what we're praying for in the terms of our larger catechism. Put those things away. Dear child of God, you're right to pray those prayers. No matter what is happening in the public schools, you've a right to pray that God would turn that around. And there would not be the dishonor of God's name in the ears of the children of this nation. It's a right prayer. You could pray that we would esteem God in his work of providence. God makes himself known in his providence, even the dark providence in our lives. And so how do we hallow God's name? Well, we acknowledge God. We acknowledge his wisdom and his rule and his purpose. We submit ourselves to his providence. We don't despise the Lord's dealings. When we kick against God's providence, we dishonor the name of God. But when we put our souls in the trusting of God in our dark providences, we are hallowing God's name. We're praying for ourselves and others to glorify God in all that whereby he makes himself known. And so as we pray week by week uh, for each other in the church, we could be praying, oh, oh God, give us help to hallow your name in the way we embrace your providences. We could pray, of course, that God would save sinners. That's a prayer for God's name to be hallowed. We sang the Psalm 67. Back in the Psalm uh, 67, it says, God be merciful and doesn't bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Oh, let the nations be glad so that the people will praise thee. Oh, to, to pray for the salvation of sinners is to pray, hallowed be thy name. The ungodly have no heart for the honor of God's name. And therefore, when we pray for sinners to be converted, whether they be in this land or other lands, we are praying, hallowed be thy name. When we have a desire for God's glory, that burdens our prayers. You can take the Psalm 74. The Psalm 74 in the verse 22. Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. What a prayer that is. Hallowed be thy name. Plead your own cause in this land. Use the church that you have placed here. Use it for the glory of your name. May God help us to understand it more and more, to have that true burden in our hearts, that God's name would be our chief concern. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.